Welcome to Soul Practice, a podcast featuring raw conversations about our crazy world and real practices that keep us grounded deep in our souls. Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices is hosted by Kathy Escobar and Phyllis Mathis. Well, welcome back to Soul Practice. These are Raw Conversations and Real Practices. I'm Kathy Escobar. I'm Phyllis Mathis, and today we have a really special, special guest, uh, Jameson Escobar. Welcome, this Jameson. This is my kid. My kid's here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to discuss and just talk with uh, my favorite podcast, so thanks <laughs> for having me here. Yeah. Also our number one fan. <laughs> you know, we rank them one to ten because we have ten fans. No, just kidding. Uh, um, I'm just so happy that you decided to join us and you're kind of game for the conversation. And uh, I'm not sure how many people who are listening know what you do in the world. Um, We are interested in hearing about your work in the Coast Guard, in the military, around racial justice issues. And we would just love to hear, first of all, you know, the context that you're working in and the kind of things that you do and the kind of conversations you have. And, you know, so tell us about yourself and what's happening in your world. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so I've been in the Coast Guard now for almost eight years. Um, and I really got passionate about not just uh, racial conversations, but all diversity, equity and inclusion conversations. Uh, probably about six years ago when I was uh, going into my junior year at the Coast Guard Academy. And so since then, I've um, done my best to get included in any DEI-related activity that the Coast Guard will send me to. Um, And then so about a year and a half ago, I got accepted for a Coast Guard program uh, that would basically teach a bunch of people how to facilitate trainings related to DEI And then um, also coach individuals on how to just be a little bit more inclusive, empathetic, caring, or or anything like that. Um, So I've been in that role for about a year and a half now. And uh, it has been a challenge. Um, Yeah, I wanted to say, how's that working for you? How's that going in the military? Challenge. Uh, The interesting thing about the military is um, how kind of far behind they are in a lot of these just to having the capacity to talk about anything difficult, not, not just race, but really anything. And so um, kind of seeing how other organizations are doing it and then trying to bring that back to my organization has been hard because everybody just, most people aren't really ready to have the conversation yet. And um, so it has definitely been an uphill climb, but also very rewarding. You know, I do these trainings and it's, they're all not mandatory. So I usually have maybe like three to eight people of different ranks in the room. Um, And every single time I've done one of these trainings, I have left, you know, feeling like my cup is full, a little bit more um, Mm -hmm. recharged and refreshed. But, and also every single time somebody has come up to me and said, thank you, this is what I'm looking for, or this is what I've learned. And so uh, the interesting thing about it is that the training material works, but the hardest part is, and this is the hardest part of any culture change, is getting somebody, getting everybody to the table, not just getting the people who want to do the work to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been the real challenge is kind of 
telling senior leaders and whatnot that like this is important for many reasons than many other reasons than just being a good person. This is important for us operationally. This is important for us in the long run for attainment. Um, but you know, a lot of people just don't want to have that conversation. Um, and so that is kind of where I'm at, just trying to navigate in this world where my viewpoints are a little bit different than what the masses are and trying to somehow get them to agree with me, at least at a very basic level. Yeah. It makes me think too, just how lonely it is sometimes. Don't you think it's like lonely and uphill and exhausting. And then you just get so irritated with everybody because you know, what could be like, is some of that in there for you? A hundred percent. And I think that's, you know, you know, full disclosure to everybody, I'm actually transitioning out of the military next year for that exact reason. And it's, mm-hmm. it's draining. And especially, um, you know, now it's gotten a little bit better, but when you first kind of understand something, it doesn't matter what it is for me, it was, you know, just understanding how racism worked in this country you get, and you want to become an advocate for it. You get so passionate, you know, you get insanely passionate uh, to the point where that's all you can think about. It's all you want to talk about. And to be in a space where you try to have those conversations and you just get shut down at every turn, you know, when you're really starting your career, it's, it's super frustrating and um, exhausting really. And lonely is a good word because you look around and even some of my closest friends who, you know, they're like, I'll be friends with them forever. They'll never understand this. And it's hard to not have, you know, a good support system around you within the structure of the you know organization. And I'm sure that's true for any organization um, that exists. If you don't have a good support structure within the organization, then it just becomes so tiring and, and lonely and, and tough to continue to do the work when everybody else seems like they're hell bent on not doing the work. Yeah. yeah. Well, can I ask you a personal question? Of course. Like, um, with regard to diversity and, and equity, um, how do you identify, um, like personally identify with um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, you know, sexuality issues, like the, all of the issues that you're re- representing? How are you, how do you see yourself um, in that community? Yeah, it's 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 been a total journey for me these past uh, well, you know, twenty five years, but definitely specifically these past six, where you know I am biracial, but I'm white passing. I grew up in a basically all white community, uh, upper middle class, you know, straight male. Basically, I I hold a lot of power um, identity types, right? I carry a uh-huh. lot of power identity types. And, uh, and originally I, I was, I've gone from this place of like total, like Robin D'Angelo, white guilt, white fragility, like defensive. I feel bad. Like, Oh, am I allowed to like listen to rap music, stuff like that. And I've transitioned now to like understanding. I think this is something that a lot of DEI practitioners, especially when they first start, don't get. And it's that your privilege is your power like this is how you can advocate for other people this is how you can get into those spaces i am fully aware that i've been i've gotten into spaces with other people because i'm white passing or because i'm male and i've heard conversations that have you you know 
really pissed me off or um, yeah, I bet. turn into to teachable moments or learning moments for me on how to deal with them simply just because of the way I look, the way I talk and the way um, I'm able to just navigate those, those pathways. Um, and it can be difficult sometimes also, especially in the Coast Guard where like I've had people say like, oh, why do you care so much? Like this isn't, doesn't really affect you, but it does affect me. I am, you know, half Latinx. I am partly uh, a minority, but to not be recognized by that has been as hard, you know, um, mm. obviously not as hard as it is for other people, but your issues are still your issues. You know, that's the interesting thing about privilege is that doesn't mean that you don't have things that are, are tough. It just means you have a little bit less barriers or a lot less barriers than other people. So um, it has been quite the journey to kind of be okay with being myself in this space. Um, and I'm happy that I've gotten to a little bit more point where I'm confident, like owning my identity, but also comfortable talking to people of, of different identities about this uh, subject or any subject related to inclusion. Yeah, it's got to be um... It's got to be interesting to be able to identify with with Latinx. And I'm curious about that. Like, what's the mix in the Coast Guard racially that you've been able to kind of uh, survey? Uh, well, it's pretty appalling, <laughs> honestly. Um, it's pretty what? Appalling. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, if you look, let's just, we'll just look from the senior leadership team. There's 40 people on our senior leadership team. There's two non-white people oh. out of 40 and oh. eight women. Um, oh. And so, you know, diversity-wise, especially at the, the higher – I mean, an officer, so I'm not, like, that high on the officer chain, but a little bit higher ranking. Mm-hmm. It's just – it's really bad how, how diverse it is. Um, and – so, you know, for me, it almost becomes a little bit easier in that sense because I am definitely culturally fluent with talking to the white male. Yeah. So I, I know how to talk to these people in a lot of different cases. Um, but the tough part now is getting them to listen to everything. But I can definitely get into the conversation a lot easier because I, I grew up doing it and this is it's how the service is. But from a, from a demographic breakdown, it's pretty... Um, pretty white pretty white yeah yeah okay and is that oh go ahead Kath no go ahead I was just gonna say um out in the regular ranks of a coast guard Mm -hmm. people um is that pretty much representative of the population or are the people like non-officers are they are there more people of color more like yeah, in the non-officers and what what is that like? I'm curious. There's definitely more people of color, but um, the Coast Guard really struggles with retaining diversity. So a lot of them are at the lower level. In the officer corps too, it's the same. Like most of the, you know, marginalized groups are lower levels, and then at the more upper class, you see the 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 wider it gets. The interesting thing about the enlisted side is they have different um, ratings, which is like their type of job. And mm-hmm. we've, there was a study done that found that an overwhelmingly high percentage of minorities who are enlisted serve in support functions uh, rather than like operational functions. So those oh. would be like your cooks or your storekeepers or your yeomen um, are mostly, my, not mostly, but like most minorities are doing those jobs 
as opposed to some of the like boots on the ground people, um, which is, I mean, you know, that's just a function of society, right? That's, that's not mm-hmm. any different than we probably see in a lot of different industries, but um, it's definitely very prevalent in the Coast Guard. Okay. Yeah, it just always makes me think how, uh, even though we've come a long way, we have so far to go, mm-hmm. so far to go. And that in every, in every bit of every company on the whole, like down there's the workers and then there's the structures above. And I know, and, and they're usually never representative of each other. And that, and the Coast Guard, I think is like one of the sort of better ones in some departments. I mean, I don't know. We want to be careful about picking on them, but I think that, the uh, part for you, Jameson, I'm just kind of wondering, and for Phyllis and I, we're old. Okay. So you know <laughs> we that. We say that every time, every <laughs> week we're old. We're so old. And that is one of the really fun parts really about watching you grow. And as a 26-year-old, you're 26 now. Almost. Oh, you're almost 26. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so sorry. This is a problem. And we named all of our kids Jays. And so like so many of the times we just didn't say the kids' right names. And now my <laughs> my brain, my brain is not working on age, but you're almost 26. And so um one of the things though for us is the hope for the future, honestly. And, you know, you participated in the group that Phyllis and I were in that we talked about um, with our friend Mary Rader, who um, just has been leading us in such an awesome way through the 12 um, steps for truth and transformation model that Melvin Bray created and just popping in there and being part as best you could from afar was just so good for our souls, you know, to to have um, new life and hope and just, um, practice, you know, just doing it was really, was really good for us. But I also know that, um, hearing you, it makes sometimes it's discouraging because it's some, in some ways just as hard for you as it's been for others. You know, it's like, there's a little bit more flow and a little bit more things, but it's so hard, but your dream for the future. Um, I would just love to hear more about, like, if you were like, gosh, I just want to keep cultivating blank. It it gives us hope because we do need a better future. We're very distraught at what we created and the limited capacity that we have to actually make a huge difference. The huge, the bigger difference is going to come from you. So I'm just curious about that. Like sort of what you're, going to keep hacking at yeah yeah and it's 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 i don't know funny is the right word it's interesting because you know if you would have asked me that question you know three or four years ago i would have been like oh i just want you know the whole world to to work out and treat each other with love and and you know everything will be a representation will fall into place if people are just more empathetic and unfortunately you know as you grow up and you start to work especially in this space you just realize that that's not attainable um, but what you can do, and this is, you, you touched on this last week is Jared, my little brother's one of his things, one of his sayings was like, you can't change the world, but you can change somebody's world. 
And for me, what I, my goal is I want to, once I get out, I want to, you know, find a job in a, in a company that is willing to invest in these type of organization or these type of DEI programs. And I want to change that company. And I think that that is something that you can do as a DEI practitioner um, with the right resources. You can change a tiny, you know, small piece of the world um, with your influence, with your passion. And my, you know, that's kind of what I want to do when I, when I get out. But my ultimate goal is I really want to, I'm really passionate about uh, education reform and just giving people opportunities at, for higher education, um, especially people who get left out normally, traditionally. And so I would love to work at an institution as a chief diversity officer and try to cultivate a little bit more um, togetherness and, and create an equal playing field for people who've just never been given an equal playing field. You're never even given the opportunity to try. Um, and so that, that's kind of my ultimate goal, but I do think with this type of work, it's really important for your soul and for your long-term just mental health and well-being that you don't try to, uh, bite off more than you can chew. Yeah. You, know, right. you, you becoming more understanding of racial tensions in America is not going to solve racial tensions in America, unfortunately, but you can, you know, work on your small group and, you know, who knows what can happen from there. And, and the hard part I think is convinced, not convincing yourself, but reassuring yourself that that little bit of work is enough, you know, mm. just showing up every day and getting one person. If you get one person to change your mind in five years, that's enough. You have put a damage in, you know, these institutional systems that are keeping people down. Even, if, even though it might seem like it, that is a big deal. Um, because when you're talking about how systemic everything is, uh-huh. just one person changing their mind is a win for the, for the people who are trying to, to work their way up. Um, and so that's kind of the mindset I try to take. It can be super frustrating because, it, and I'm sure you all feel the same way, like after going through that group, it's like, it's so obvious Right. You just want to like shake people and be like, how can you not see this how I see it? Because it's so obvious, but that's just not how it works. You know, you, you just can't you can't uh, brainwash people after they've already been brainwashed. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Unbrainwash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's where that's where we're at. But just I just try to take it day by day and see what other conversations I can have. You know, that that is enough. Uh, and if it only happens once a week you have to be okay with being like, that's enough, at least for now. Um, and when you have the capacity to take on more, take on more, but you got, you really do have to care for yourself in this type of work, any type of advocacy work, in my opinion. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. And, uh, and I appreciate the spot that you're in too, with so much passion, kind of trying to make a dent in this big monolithic organization, you know, and keeping your hope for the future and personally kind of keeping yourself sustained mm-hmm. with in adjusting the, how do I be okay on a daily basis? And how do I validate myself when you're in mostly an invalidating environment? Um, that's a, that's kind of soul work right there. You know, that in a sense, anybody who's like trying to make their way consciously in the world, that's the thing right there. How do I be okay in the life I have, in the body I have, in the 
influence I have, um, caring about things that the world right now seems to be um, pushing against or solidified against. And uh, so I really appreciate your, the kind of buoyancy that you have, the kind of, Mm. you know, ability to adjust to the vision and to think about the future and how you're going to keep, keep going doing this and find life and joy in doing it. That's, it's kind of evident when you talk about it. And I just think it's a huge uh, shift you've had to make from I'm going to change the world with love and kindness to I'm going to do what I can weekly. And that's enough. Yeah, it's been, um, it is, it is, you know, soul work. And I think it's, it's hard because especially for me right now, where I'm like looking, looking forward to the future and excited about the future, but that excitement does not carry into my, you know, day-to-day life, you know? And that's where what you all were talking about last uh, week or two ago about like being grounded, being in the moment is something that's honestly hard for everybody. But I think for like, if you're in a a change management type of position, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to be present because you see the vision for me. Mm -hmm. Like I see, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel of my, my service and getting out into the other world. But like when you see the vision, it's so hard to stay grounded, focus on the now and focus on yourself. You know, it's easy to say, Oh, I'll be done soon. I can just push it down. But that's not how human beings should work. You shouldn't push your emotions down. You shouldn't uh, look, you can, you shouldn't look too far into the future. You need to, you need to understand the here and now, you know, because that's an important part of, of life in general, you know, and this is, that's why I've appreciated listening to you all because it's kind of given me uh, a better understanding and some tools on just how to be okay with, you know, taking the waves as they come and not try to look for, towards getting away from the waves, but just embracing them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Thanks. It makes me think too. I mean, I'd love to just hear just even a teeny bit on this because, um, and those of you that have young adult kids, sometimes um probably feel this and I, I think you too feel it's like you help us learn because mm-hmm. we're lame a lot of times. And so we're, you know, we're from a different generation. So we're trying to break certain things. And so one thing that I think you've really helped me with is this breaking out of um binary words and binary language and trying to just challenge us in our family to use more non-binary words and it's super hard and so because it's just so used to using pronouns a certain way making assumptions just throwing it around so I would just love for you to say how you're practicing that you know a little bit this is soul practice and even you have to practice that is just kind of using more inclusive language and embedding that into your, um, the way you move in the world. So uh, I thank you. And I, it's super irritating at the same time (laughs) because I like, I'm just used to it, but I, I've really appreciated the challenge of, um, not going with always he or she and girlfriend or boyfriend, um, and, you know, moving to partner and they, and things that just help us um, expand. So just tell us just a teeny bit more about that before we begin to wrap up. Yeah, it's, it's funny because, um, the, the idea of practicing is something that people kind of forget. I remember when I first started learning about this 
inclusion stuff, I was like, oh, I got it all. Like, I don't need to learn anything. And then I was listening to a podcast and somebody said that, like how they were trying to get rid of their, um, you know, binary language. And I was like, I do that all the time. Like you said, I say guys all the time. I say girlfriend, boyfriend, I, I use them all like everybody uses them. And, um, one thing is it's insanely difficult. Um, and you know, for people of an older generation, like you've been saying this for, you know, more longer than I have, I'm only 25 and I, it's hard for me to unwire my brain. Um, and so I think an important practice item for that is to be, um, compassionate with yourself. Don't, if you mess up and you say guys or, uh, or something to somebody or to a group of women, it's okay. You'll be okay. You know, take it as a learning opportunity and, and continue to not make that mistake the next time. Um, because if you're trying to unwire your brain and you get down on yourself every single time you make a mistake, you're just going to stop trying to unwire your brain. It's, it's too exhausting. It's too much. And so, um, I know for me, even recent, even when I listened to your podcast last weekend about that, I was like, man, I've kind of been doing a bad job at, about this non-binary language lately. Um, I need to hold myself accountable, right? You still need to hold yourself accountable, but I also need to not get so down on myself that I burn my myself out because <laughs> then you're not doing anything. You're not, you're not actually changing anything. You're not rewiring your brain, but it is insanely difficult. It's one of the things that I thought would be an easy, oh yeah, I, I speak inclusively all the time, but that's just not unfortunately how it works. Uh, so I would say just a good practice is, self-compassion which is something that i think everybody could use in in a lot of different regards but definitely for stuff like this yeah definitely well thanks for saying that you struggle with that too (laughs) um it just feels i i feel guilty for struggling with it like it feels like a something i should already know and once i get it it should be you know in my in my language and it's hard to practice and it's hard to feel dumb while you're practicing or catch yourself when it's coming out of your mouth and then go, Oh, wait, hold on. You know? So, yeah. I think one of the funny things for me when I first started doing it, um, was that I was like embarrassed, you know, I was like talking to people at, in my workplace who I'm not like close with. I don't really particularly care what they think of me that much. And I'd be talking about my girlfriend and I would like the word partner would get like stuck in the back of my throat almost like this is like mm. unnatural. They're, what are they going to judge me? Oh, how are they going to know it's a girl? Like stupid, stupid, dumb yeah. supremacist logic that we're hardwired to believe that doesn't matter, you know, but that's how, that's how we're trained. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's also, you know, a little bit terrifying of kind of to see how, how many layers deep it goes, but that's yeah, really it is, it's hard. It is hard to, to change your vocabulary about things that seem so, you know, small. Yeah. I think when I was your age and older, a little older, the big thing was to say he or she, or mm-hmm. to say, um, you know, like in papers that I would write. And, uh, and that was awkward as all hell, you know, trying to, trying to write a, you know, a, a paper without, defaulting to he and then go he or she but then that gets really awkward to read and to write so 
that was a, something I worked on for a long time. And then now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, not all of a sudden, but recently it's like that, even that prog- progress, if you want to call it that, now is being expanded. Like, why do we have to go he or she? Put people in categories of he or she. And using the word they is is a perfect way to solve a lot of things, except, you know, in school, we're like, they is plural and that's a grammar thing. And I don't know how to, but, but it's, it's just, it kind of hurts your brain as you're trying to do these things that it's awkward and we feel dumb. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just want to say that out loud and that's okay to feel dumb. Like it's not a big deal. Our dumb feelings, our embarrassment, you know, our feeling out of it or feeling like we're catching up or behind the ball. Uh, That's all part of the, recovery process um part of our addiction to being on top is that we don't want to be embarrassed mm-hmm. you know we want to be with it we don't want to be mm-hmm. criticized and um it just feels weird that's all i want to say it just feels weird and it's so paralyzing i mean i think that that is the piece of it it's like we're just paralyzed and then we're anxious and then we're we're not grounded and then we're insecure and weird and judging ourselves. And I mean, I just super relate. (laughs) You know, and it makes me think what I love here. You talk about Jameson is just embracing our humanness. Mm -hmm. And so as much as, you know, 50 and 60 year olds and 20 year olds are all human and we're all practicing as best we can. And I think you're, fortunately, you know, you've got better juice than we had. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're not off the hook. um, And we all share in the same human experience. And that is that it's really hard. And we have dreams for the world. And they're really hard to not see happen the way that we want them to happen. And that, you know, it's kind of like Bill said, I always say the roads always lead back to like healthy humaning when it's all said and done. Like that's the best we got. And it is so hard to do. It's so hard to be um, healthy because healthy isn't hitting pronouns right. That's not healthy. That's healthy is at navigating, showing up in the world, making mistakes, you know, being able to be vulnerable, being able to learn, being able to connect to other people. Like that's healthy. And that's what I think in the conversation, this sometimes these ones get twisted that healthy is just doing it right. Definitely. Which we, yeah, which we had from religion, you know, we all had it, all three of us in different ways, you know, and so it's like, yeah, it's just the same thing with a twist, you know, instead of really focusing on the deeper work of our soul. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that, I think that's a, that's a great point that there's, you're just, you have to be okay with yourself. You have to make sure that you are grounded, that you are feeling healthy, that you're in a good headspace. When you do any type of work um, on yourself, you know, having unrealistic expectations is not healthy. I love that. I love how you put that. I think that's such a great way of um, differentiating between like doing the work for the work's sake and then doing the work on yourself are two very different things. Mm-hmm. And um, making sure, but they're two important things at the same time. And making sure that you're 
okay with yourself and you're being a healthy human. Uh, I would say it's just as important as doing the work to, you know, hit every pronoun in my opinion, because if you're not right, then it's, you know, your impact will, will diminish um, personally and, and for the rest of the world. So I think that's a really good thought that I've never really been able to articulate. So thank you for that. Cool. Uh, well, Jameson, you are our very first guest. We haven't done this yet. Um, and so this was really fun to yeah. have you. Just a gift. And it makes me think as we end, so Phyllis and I, well, first of all, thanks for listening. It makes me really happy that our kids, because yeah. our kids, Phyllis's kids too, yeah. listen. And then when I get texts that go, oh, you know, little quotes and things that just, shame is a false sense of control. Like, it makes me so happy. <laughs> it's a yeah. good line, you know? I'll text yeah. the good lines. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with my therapist, not mine, but the truth is, is that it means a 10 and, um, I feel so grateful to just be your friend too, not just your mom, but your friend. And then also, you know, you're a leader for me. Like I can look and listen and learn from you and you can inspire me to keep going. And, you know, everybody knows our family has had a really hard, hard run and, um, it's a miracle. We're all still here talking, doing what we love to do in the world. And I think um, Jared's life helped us do that and trying to be as open and work on our soul and our practices at the same time. So I'm, I'm really proud of you um, for living mm-hmm. and grieving at the same time because it sucks, um, but it's what we all need to do and we're all trying to do. So we end our podcast with a little thought for the soul and a little practice. And so we just love to hear from you first and then me and Phyllis will just add and then we'll wrap up. So um, just one last little thought, quick, quick and dirty for the soul or practice just related to the work you're doing and showing up in the world. Um, and then we'll add and we're just, again, really glad you're here. Yeah. So uh, thank you. All. I've, I've really appreciate This has been you know the highlight of my week. Uh, so I would think, I would say a thought for the soul I, I touched on a little bit is just that, that self-compassion um, be self, just be compassionate with yourself when you're trying to do any type of uncomfortable work, um, any type of change work, because you're, you'll, you'll really get the benefit of it in the long term. That's how you'll be able to sustain your, your growth. And I would say a practice is kind of um, just be okay. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. I know it sounds cliche, but, really put yourself in those environments where you are a little uncomfortable and uh, that's where you're going to learn the most. That's where you're going to get the most um, long-term, you know, benefit. And so if you can be comfortable being in those spaces, uh, it'll really help in any DEI work or any, really any change work in general. Awesome. How about you, Phyllis? Last thought for the soul? Um. Yeah, two two things. One is that sticking in my head that has nothing to do with the soul, but has to do with our language. You and I need to stop saying lame. <laughs> you do, you're so not lame. <laughs> well, it's just a, it's just one of those words that we use to self-describe as not being with it or us being inept or something. But but to the disabled community, it's a bad. You know, it's really a, a not a good word. So. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's my commitment for that one. Um, speaking of being comfortable with being uncomfortable, 
Um, but I, I think that um, with regard to the soul, I, I think that being in your soul and doing your soul work is a revolutionary act. It is an act of resistance. It is an act of, of um, solidarity with humanity that is in the process of evolving and changing. So I love that. It seems like we keep coming back to that, that kind of soul is everything and being as authentic and in touch as you can be is very, very powerful, not just for yourself, but it's kind of the only hope for the world in some ways. Mm, love it. Oh, I love these. And I mean, mine is just really simple. It just came to mind as uh, Jameson was talking, just like the practices learn from young people, learn and listen and follow and uh, be willing and maybe celebrate. What am I learning from my kids? And this is kids of all ages. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I learning? Maybe notice it and go, oh, my gosh, they're helping me blank. They're teaching me blank. They're inspiring me to blank and notice it and celebrate it and honor it. Because a lot of times I think we can miss it or we can shame ourselves that we're not doing it um, at the way that would be better. But just like really celebrating them. And so we celebrate you. Thank you. Yeah. I do. I, I, you're pretty much my only hope for humanity right now. We don't <laughs> no know pressure. if the whole thing could blow up, Uh-oh. you know, but you, you give us hope. You, not just you, yeah. but you, all yeah. of you. And yeah. that um, we're going to try to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. I think it's, it's good to get different perspectives and voices. And um, I would just commend you all for, for, you know, doing the work at this stage of your lives that's not something that's very common and I I, you know I've interacted with a lot of people older than me and a lot of them are very resistant because it's hard and so um, I would just give a hats off to you and and everybody you're working with in your group because it's it's really hard to show up every day and it's important though so thank you for having me this is a ton of fun Anytime you want to do it again, I'm, I'm available. Um, I love great. it. It's a pleasure. And it's so great to kind of get more from you than just that little bit that we do in, in the 12-step yeah. group together. So it's just been yeah. personally really a pleasure for me too. So Yeah, so much fun. Well, thanks for listening. We're glad you're all here. Escobar and Phyllis Mathis write, speak, pastor, and counsel, and are dedicated to creating spaces that foster healing and change. You can learn more at kathyescobar.com and phyllismathis.com. Keep listening to your soul and keep practicing.